Hey, Anna? Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, you, you should be sorry, you know that? I promise you, the next two seasons we're doing, and, you know, Amazon's the other season we're doing, they have good endings. They have endings that, <laughs> that aren't like this. I, I hope so for your sake, yeah. I forgot wide swaths of this of this ending. Although I I will defend Neo Fangire's papa. I will defend that to the grave. Hi, welcome to Common Rider Double A. I'm Adam. <laughs> I am Anna, your Common Rider Guru. <laughs> I no, I think that title's revoked now. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm still the expert here. <laughs> Today, we watched and are recapping the finale of Kamen Rider Kiva, The Inheritors of Kiva. And it was a fucking mess. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam. I'm just... I'm legitimately just giddy at your... At your despair right now. I wit it's not despair anymore. Not no, it's it's not dis my murderous hate for you and everything. Uh, this is episode forty-eight of Comrade Kiva, finale, The Inheritors of Kiva, which aired January eighteenth, two thousand nine, written by Toshiki Inoue and directed by Hidenori Yashida. <laughs> oh god, I cannot <laughs> When you and I see each other in in the real world, and that day is in coming. In the meat space. Yes, and that day is coming. I swear to you, I am going to buy a fusel. I don't. I don't care. I'm going to import it. I'm. I'm just going to get or some sort of piece of Kiva merch, and I am going to shove it straight through your eye socket. Well, that is not where I thought you were going to be shoving it. So that's better than. Okay. Oh, let's get through this damn thing. This is our first finale, Adam. This is the finale of our first season. We'll discuss our plans for the podcast's future later, but just know, everyone, that this is the season finale of Craw for the, our first season. We're, we appreciate those of you who've stuck around with us for this ride. It's been all three of you. Yes, it's been a learning experience. I've figuring out how to edit podcasts, and I. He's also learned how to hate. Yes, I've learned hate and rage and a need to kill everything. But other than that, I we appreciate you all just sticking with us, and we hope you've enjoyed this so far, and we hope you stick around for what comes next, which we will discuss at another point. But anyway, let's get into the episode and try to get the hell through this with our friendship intact, that is. We start with Wataru sitting on the throne of the Fengar King with the arms monsters around him. Bishop walks in and talks shit about Wataru being a pretender to the throne, who he will end up killing. Wataru rather confidently responds that he'll accept this challenge to his dominance. The thing is, for as not good as this episode uh, becomes, this is a baller opening. <laughs> like the first three or four scenes are really good. I think I'd agree. Sure, Bishop comes sauntering in with his creepy pale eyes, and and he threatens Wataru as the arms monsters kind of restrain him. 
Watcher is just unfazed. It's another testament to how much he's grown over the course of the season. But yeah, we get a title card and we cut to Cafe Maldemore where Keisuke is turning in the Ikusa Knuckle to Shima on account of his sight still not recovering. Megami protests this and urges Keisuke to work with her on improving their teamwork. I, I enjoy that I believe that Megami and Keisuke would work together to do this now. Because, you know, beginning of the series, they wouldn't. But I think Keisuke has softened up enough. And, you know, Megami has seen him grow enough that, you know, like I just said, I believe that they would want to work together like this. I believe that too, just not to the extent that they go to at the very end. I think there's meant to be like a couple months to a year long time skip. So like... They it's not like they hug and then next week they're getting married. I figure there's just a, you know, started at a funeral, ended on a wedding. We get a quick montage of the two of them training. They eventually take a breather and Megami admits that she respects Keisuke now. Keisuke reciprocates the notion and commends Megami on her kindness. That might be one of my favorite lines slash moments in this episode. And maybe even in Keisuke's entire character arc, has he really complimented somebody on their kindness before? I think this is the first time Keisuke has openly acknowledged that kindness isn't a... Like, he, he's evolved to where he doesn't believe that anymore, but this is finally acknowledging it. And also using it as a compliment to somebody that he used to constantly berate because he thought her blow him because she was filled with kindness. Sure, I'll give it that. I, I think that's fine and a good capstone for Keisuke's development as a character. But we cut to Wataru sitting on his throne when Taiga approaches him. I love that when Taiga says, it's time to settle this and find out who will be king. Watu's like, we already settled it. I kicked your fucking ass. Taiga taunts Wataru into fighting him again by revealing that he killed Maya. Killed, in quotation marks. I was about to say, yes. We transition to outside, where the brothers, now respectively clad in Emperor and Dark Kiva forms, begin to fight. They don't get too far when a horde of Zomgeiers, led by Bishop, interrupts them. Both the Kibas spite off the horde and are even given back up by the arms monsters. The arms trio triumphantly yell out their names as they and both Kibas get cool moments of ass kickery. Most of them get cool moments. Basha dodge rolls like it's Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and, and to avoid all the attacks and then jumps into a tree and starts shooting. It's like, dude, you didn't... You didn't have to do that, you know? You could have just started in the tree or, like, not gone into melee. Instead, he just rolled through it all. Once the horde is cleared, Emperor and Dark Kiva resume their fight. Bishop then looks as though he's about to take matters into his own hands, but he gets tackled by Keisuke. I got too shaken up by Ramon dodge rolling, but it is a good moment. And I, I like that as the setup for the climax. Um, you know, like them, like all three groups are vying for the throne, essentially, like just fucking duking it out in the forest. Uh huh. And then it starts. We get this last good scene, and then it starts going downhill. Yep. 
Kisuke henshins into Iksa and begins spiting Bishop as Megami calls out the directions he needs to block and attack from. Iksa struggles a bit, but after taking a stream of scale powder, Iksa counters by delivering a couple of powerful strikes with Megami's direction. I love that consistently having a man with no depth perception fight by getting direction by getting clock face directions from another person does not work like it works a little bit towards the end but most of the time it just gets him just bashed on and i love that but yeah those couple of strikes t- proved to be enough to finish off bishop bishop returns to human form and he gloats that this outcome is fine and that he will give his own life energy to aid in the old king's resurrection Bishop's body shatters and his soul, or chunk of life energy, flies off. Then we get a moment that I really do like, which does make me think a romance could start between them and helps me at least, like, rationalize, okay, there's a time skip and they dated and then got married. I do believe that they are in a comfortable position of teamwork and are very good allies. I don't, I didn't buy them being lovers, though. At the end, Keisuke then falls out of rider form and onto the ground. We get a shot from his POV in which Megami's face comes into focus, showing that Keisuke's sight has recovered. The two of them then embrace. Honestly, I love I love this scene because uh, Keisuke Nago's actor, Keisuke Kato, him and uh, Megami's actor, uh, Nana Yanagisawa, uh, Mm-hmm. Like, I think they sold the scene well. Like, the way, uh, the way Keisuke, you know, grabbed Megami's face and was like, Megami? And then that embrace in the end, like, I, I liked it. I, I liked the scene. I buy their performances perfectly well. They're, they're good enough, yeah. Yeah, the, the acting's never really been a problem, never really been a problem in this series. Sure. Like, there's been performances that haven't been the best, but it's never been bad. Uh, the timing for Keisuke's recovery, though, begs the question. Was Keisuke's visual impairment some kind of curse that Bishop put on him? Because it, it fades away as soon as Bishop's dead. So, I think it's a mix of simply being symbolic and possibly being, like, partially uh, psychosomatic. Like, he did have, uh, like, trouble seeing um, for a while, but then that combined with the trauma of being hit by Bishop, maybe. I'm not sure, but it could be anything, really. Uh, But, yeah, we cut to the Batfangire as it struggles to corporealize. Bishop's life energy then crashes into it, and the old king is resurrected. Yay, he's not going to speak a word or do anything that made us like the old king, which is mostly just giving the coldest ham performance ever. Yeah, he's he's just a, a feral monster at this point. This episode would be much better if Bishop wasn't going to revive a king and said was like, I'll become the new king, was killed by Keisuke, and the re- then the rest of the episode was like, dialogue and fighting between uh, Taiga and Wataru. Yeah, uh, that may have been a better way to structure it. And not having like that extra fight with King would have given more time for 
dialogue um, and like other scenes where you could properly develop the ending. Mm -hmm. We cut to Watcher when Taiga's still fighting. Taiga goads Watcher into continuing their fight, and Watcher stumbles over to Taiga only to embrace his brother. Shima appears out of bumfuck nowhere. He, tele he teleports in with the power of plot. And he reveals that Wataru only became king so as to protect Taiga. This is bullshit and dumb, and no wonder I didn't remember it. Yes, we flash back to when Shima asked Wataru to protect Taiga. Wataru tells Shima that he'll take the Fengire throne and use his power to protect Taiga. Taiga wasn't in danger. No one was gunning for him. Not really, no. Thing is, you could write this in a way that Wataru became king for Taiga. You can be, I saw that the title of king was nothing but a curse for Taiga. And like, he's been, and it's made him nothing but miserable. That would have been the good line. That would have been a good through line of like, I'm going to take on this burden because I want to keep everyone safe. Do you remember last week we were talking about how awesome it was that Watcher's like, yeah, he's decided to become king so he can unite the two worlds. Apparently not. <laughs> so dumb. It's bad. Toshiki Inoue, what the fuck? Did you, did, you, did you all of a sudden get a high fever in the middle of writing it? I, that may just be his default writing mode. He's, he's written better. He's written really good finales in the past. Everyone seems barely reconciled when a blast of dark energy hits them as the Zomgeier King of Old enters the scene. Do you want to just skip the entire fight? Do you want to just <laughs> skip talking about it? No, there's an important thing coming up. The brothers agree to fight the Batfangire slash Zomgeier Old King. They both assume rider forms, but get their asses beat. Wataru gets knocked off a cliff, this being at the dried-up lake where Otoya and Wataru fought the Old King back in 1986. But before he could fall to his death, Wataru catches the discarded gauntlet of the proto Ixa armor that Otoya wore. That was actually a good moment. Something like set up before, a good way to bring Otoya back for one final pep talk. Yeah. As Watu starts to lose his grip on the gauntlet, he's met with a vision of Otoya who urges him to not give up. It isn't even really that good. Like, it's, it's, it's not bad. Like, if this was a Monster of the Week fight for, like, episode 26, I'd be like, yeah, that was a good fight. Cut to Taiga getting tossed around. The Kivats and Tatsalot distract the Batfangire as Watu walks back up. Wataru asks if Taiga can keep fighting, which Taiga confirms. They go into rider forms and proceed to rider kick the Batfangire into next Tuesday. More specifically, Dark Kiva hangs the bat with his rapier, and Emperor Kiva gives an empowered darkness moonbreak on the restrained bat. I will say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give some compliments here. One, I like that when they hench in, they have their Kivats bite the opposite um, arms. Uh, Taiga has uh, Kivat the first bite the left arm. Kivat the second bites Wataru's right. Well, second and third, rather, you mean. Second and third. I can literally never remember. Um, I, also, I also like that Taiga still has his rapier from when he was Kamen Rider Saga. Yeah, I, I liked that as well. I, f I felt that was good. 
As the dust settles, the brothers dehenshin. Taiga melodramatically tells Wataru that he bears a great sin, which Wataru replies that they will bear together. Um, what sin, Taiga? I, I mean, okay, there's the sin of all those humans he killed, but I don't think he cares about that right now. Wait, hold up. The I think he's talking about killing Maya, but he didn't even do that. Do you, do you think that maybe Taiga thought he killed her? Do you think maybe he's just a very bad at killing people? Oh, God. I, that's, that makes it dumber. If, if he just generally missed her at... Oh, I hate it. Okay, you know what? Yeah. Here's, some, here's a line of dialogue I thought of that can help fix this. Yes. Maya comes back in. M- Mom, you're alive. That's right, Taiga. When when you when you attacked me, your body instinctively missed my vital organs. E- even even as whatever you are, you were at the time. You would you're a kind boy who doesn't want to hurt anyone. Boom! Better that better way to explain it. Not good, but better. I guess. Listen, I'm not a professional writer. Toshiki Inoue is. All right. Is he though? Is he? He's written, he's written good finales. Anyway, the boys hear their mother's voice as she just walks the fuck up to them both. We flash back to Taiga and Maya in the cave, and we see that Taiga didn't actually kill Maya. He missed her with the rapier, and... Everyone, the next bit on the recap is in all caps. Yes, thank so you for we pointing know. that out. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out so you know that this that this is in the script, Adam being what he's about to be. Yes. So who the hell did he fake mother did he fake murder his mother for? Kivat the second? There was no one else there. Did he, he just accidentally missed her tender flesh? This plot twist was bad, and it cheapens Tiger's arc and the lengths to which Watcher was willing to forgive his brother, and I'm angry. But anyway, Taiga challenges Watcher to another fight. Not for the Fengar throne, but just sort of out of manly spirit and wanting to surpass each other and such and shit. I, I mean, I kind of get it. Like, sometimes you need to fight to just let out all the emotions and stuff. And, and it does a neat thing where they fight... In their, you know, uh, like untransformed and then Henshin. I kind of wish he turned into Saga though. Mm, why would he do that though? He's got a he's got a better writer form. I know, but I I prefer Saga to to Dark Kiva for Taiga because like Saga was his belt. This is his daddy's. This is his daddy's transformation, and like him becoming Dark Kiva was him. He be, he did that when he was desperate to gain the throne. All right. Maya encourages this, and the brothers proceed to duke it out. They henshin, and we fast forward a little ways into the future. We cut to Watru's house, and Shizuka busts in as wedding bells can be heard in the distance. She berates him as he struggles with his necktie. We then cut to Kengo and Shima as they rush into Mount Moor. I'm going to say, unlike Adam, I everything after... Everything, you know, from here on out, I really enjoy. And that is why you fail. Like, I, I enjoy, like, you know, 
after the finale, after the, you know, the, the climax, we get to see our characters a little later in life. And, and I like the romance between Meg and me and uh, Keisuke. There is no romance. There's just a wet, there's just a fucking wedding. I'm fine with that. <sighs> anyway, boss has a bunch of wedding gifts and a new dog since Buramon, who I guess was female the whole time is at the vet giving birth, even though she's over 22 years old. The dog's immortal. What can we say? Also, I love that it's not a new dog. It's like Burman is Burman is at the vet. So I'm just borrow. I'm just like renting out this dog while I'm sick and waiting for my dog to come home. Yeah, Sayuri is the little pug's name. Yeah. Also, so many wedding gifts. And do you think maybe Boss was just lying and just didn't want to go to the wedding? Eh. Like, Boss just hates wedding. It's like, oh no, I'm sick. I, I'm, I'm going to be forced to stay here in the cafe and hang out with this dog. We cut to a church where Megami is dressed in a bridal gown. She quietly addresses Yuri, telling her mother that she's getting married today. Right on cue, Megami is visited by Yuri's spirit who congratulates her and then disappears. I like that, having, you know, Yuri come back for just one last goodbye. Sure, I'm fine with that. Uh, next, Shima's walking Megami down the aisle, since even though Jiro is in attendance, he's kind of a deadbeat. I, lo- I love that my, my, my crack theory is canon for your notes. Everyone is present for the wedding. The arms monsters, Kivat, Tatsalot, Megami's brother, whose name I forgot... Uh, Mitsuhide. Yes, that's it. Kengo, Watu, and Shizuka. And the groom himself, fucking Keisuke, who looks as though he's about to have a heart attack. To be fair, it's Keisuke. That's sometimes, sometimes that's just his default look. For all we know, he could be the happiest he's ever been, and that's just what happy Keisuke looks like. Do you remember when he fell in love for the first time, and he looked like he was having a panic attack? What is this emotion? I don't like it. It's not justice. We cut away to that Fangar boardroom where Taiga, having somehow regained his position as CEO of his company, puts forward a proposal to create a substitute energy source for Fangar's to feed on. Which doesn't entirely track with some of the things we've seen, like the frog Fangire or Shinji the bear Fangire. Maybe Mio, yeah. Back at the wedding, Keisuke lifts Megami's veil and she takes the initiative in kissing him. He smiles very shyly and it's cute, I'll give it that. Some things I love about this uh, wedding. First of all, when Keisuke lifts up the veil, the entire audience goes, ooh, which like I legitimately buy. I've been to some, I've been to a few weddings. Sometimes people are just like that. And also... Throughout the entire wedding, Ricky is, like, hanging off of Jiro and, like, sobbing and, like, at one point tries to rush, uh, um, rush Megami to, like, I don't know, give congratulations or murder her. It's Ricky. We have no idea. <laughs> and Jiro is, you know, trying to hold him back. But then when he sees the ki- when Jiro sees the kiss, he moves to he he does the pose he does when he transforms and looks like he's about to just mm, rush onto stage and I don't know kill K- Keisuke for kissing his probably daughter. 
And then Ricky's the one holding him back. Shiska announces that Walter will play the violin in commemoration of the event, and, uh... Neo Fangire's papa! Before Wataru begin playing, a fucking goober in an orange vest and Shutter Shades comes running into the church calling, Papa! It's Masao Papa! Masao! It's, it's spelled with the kanji for every man. I'm gonna kill you. I'm not, I'm not like Grandpapa. Yes, this, this goober in the puffy orange vests calls Wataru Papa. The goober introduces himself as Masao, Watu's son from 22 years in the future. <laughs> also, this is kind of a Back to the Future reference, because, like, the orange uh, uh, vest. It's Marty. The Shutter Shades are fucking stupid, though, and so is his hairdo. Hey, listen, there's still uh, eight, nine years until uh, Masao's time. For all we know, this will become fashion. <laughs> Masao tells him that the future is in danger, and everyone rushes out of the church to see a giant UFO thing in the sky that that Masao calls the, the Neo Fangaias. The enemy from the future which followed him there. I guess. Or like he, I love it. I love it. Taiga runs up too, and Masao recognizes him as his uncle. Uncle? <laughs> so good. Also, I like that Taiga's like, well, okay, that's a flying saucer. I need to go find Wataru, because I do not have the emotional or mental bandwidth to deal with this. Uh, we see that Masao is a Kivat buddy of his own. Kivat the fourth. He's orange. Indeed. And this one, Kivat lets him become baseline Kiva. All four of the common riders... And the arms monsters transform and rider kick into the sky, so wins common fucking rider Kiva. Also, Megami's trying. Megami rushes out the doors to like follow uh, Masao and uh, Wataru, and Casey's just behind her trying to lift up the. What's it called? The, is it called a trail? He, he's just trying to lift it up so it doesn't like drag and get dirty. And when they're outside, she like pulls out her gun. <laughs> And is like trying to go fight. It's like, nope, Megami, stop. You're in a literal wedding dress. At least change. I choose to believe that she uh, went back inside, changed into her outfits, then joined the fight. Sure. Also, there's a... uh, In one of the... uh, There's this thing where in order to sell uh, like new figures, they'll like use them to like create scenes and write stories about it. And one of them is after this... A female Kivat shows up and Megami transforms into Kivala. It's a fun little story. The SIC Hero Saga. That's what it was. Well, we're going to move on to our ratings, folks. My writer of the season is going to be Wataru, which I, I guess is a given considering he's the protagonist. But back during what I think was our second episode whether I thought Watcher was on the spectrum. Having finished the season now, I think the answer is yes. And I think his story is actually a kind of a decent depiction of how an autistic person may grow through their life. Yeah, yeah sometimes autistic people find out they have a long-lost half-brother who's the king of a race of monsters that you've been fighting for your entire life, and you have to ascend to the throne yourself in order to help bring the two races together or protect your brother from people that are coming after him that aren't 
I know it's the story of my life. It is the story of your life. It's really weird that beat for beat, Kamen Rider Kiva is almost exactly your life. Also, there's the story, the movie Adam, which is about a, a guy named Adam who has autism, and he's played by Hugh Dancy, who has his hair sort of styled the same way as mine, and it freaked me the fuck out when I saw that movie poster and I screamed my lungs out. But yeah, uh, who's your writer of the season? Liquor is a bit like yours. <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but unfortunately it has to be Wataru because he grows so much as a person. But I also, I want to give a shout out to Keisuke, to Yuri, to Jiro, Otoya. Like, Comrade Kiva has so many faults, but character growth is not one of them. Like, I feel every time the character grows, there is there's a reason for it. There's a moment or a person or an arc that makes it, you know, that shows like, yes, this is what would cause a person to change like this. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think the characters and the cast are, are just fine. They're, they're all right. They're good. Th- this last episode's a clunker. We're none, none of us is going to, you know, say otherwise. But if you, like, imagine if, like, you were forced to make your decisions early last episode. I think getting distance away from how poorly it ends, which, of course, is a big thing. Um, Like, a story's ending is, like, one of the most important things about it. But the rest of the story, I think, does hold up well for character arcs and growth. Sure, it's good enough, I guess. But... Who's your monster of the season? Bishop. He's supposed to be a cold, calculating schemer, or at least that's how the writing seems to want him to come off. But he's actually kind of a doofus of the highest caliber. He sucks much. We've seen that resurrected Fangires are mindless killing machines that can only follow orders at best. And that's kind of the case for the resurrected king as well. Did he seriously intend to have a feral bat that probably has rabies rule his race? If I'm giving credit, which I shouldn't, maybe Bishop was like, all right, like he'll be the quote unquote king, but I'll hold the reins of this unstoppable murder beast. So technically I'll be the king, but it's dumb. How about you? I'm tempted to give it to that lawyer from episode uh, two. Yeah, you still hate her, don't you? I'm going to give it to the lawyer from episode two and you can't stop me. No one can. It's so dumb. <laughs> At least Bishop was good up until a point. And we got some good moments of him constantly jumping out of the bushes or up from behind uh, walls. To harass Mio, right? He did fall flat towards the end like many things. Now time for our final tarot corner for Common Rider Kiva. I am giving it the world, or otherwise known as Zawardo. Ah, beat me to it. The world represents the completion of a journey as well as accomplishment. And me giving the world to the finale of a season may be kind of a recurring thing, just forewarning. I think as we go on, we'll get more unique and nuanced and better endings that might be able to fit under different tarots. Sure. But this one had Zawardo. For my episode rating, I'm giving this a 3 out of 10. This finale was a fucking mess. 
And there are three major complaints that we've kind of already addressed, but I'll go ahead and reiterate. Number one, Maya somehow being alive was dumb as Brick's writing that cheapens the conflict between Taiga and Wataru. Number two, this is more subjective, but Megumi and Keisuke getting married I don't think was earned. Them being in love would have been more believable if they went from rivals to friends sooner and had more chances to flesh out their relationship aside from those comedic scenes toward, towards the end of the season. Common Rider in general has had difficulty with romances a lot. Like, unless it's like subtextual homoerotic stuff. My last and third complaint is that Masao and the neo Fangires are a stupid thing to include at the last minute. It would have been better to just let Watu play the violin at the wedding as we get a montage of impactful moments from the season. For me, I'm giving it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> because it shits the bed. It does. But the first couple scenes are very good. Keisuke and Megami's stuff this entire episode I liked. I like the wedding and, you know, seeing everyone there, Shima walking uh, her down the aisle. I I liked those parts. But then there's also Maya being alive with no explanation or any good story reason. Watru's real reason for becoming king. Also, she didn't, Maya didn't get a wedding invitation. What What's the deal with that? Oh, she's just drinking her river wine. <laughs> Do you think maybe... They filmed that ending. Like, do you think maybe Maya surviving was like a relatively last minute change and that they'd filmed the wedding like, yeah, Maya's supposed to be dead here? Like, it doesn't fix anything. I'm just wondering if that's why Maya wasn't at the wedding. But I think this finale was like half good, half bad. I think half the episode I enjoyed watching. The other half I was pretty annoyed at. I'm giving Common Rider Kiva a 6 out of 10. I think Wataru is a good everyman protagonist with a solid character arc, but there's a fair chunk of silliness and bad writing across this season. I think it's good enough to merit watching one time through, but I think it's also what going to be emblematic of Toshiki Inoue's flaws as a writer. Me, I'm going to give it a, a 7.5 out of 10. Because if you look back, most of our episode ratings were in like the seven to eight range. That could that like and I know you like when you look at things as a whole, it changes. And honestly, if the if that last episode was better, I might have given it an eight, eight and a half. But I think it's a show that provides character arcs that you can follow. And that. And this is also just a personal, unobjective opinion. I like the show. I like the characters. I like the I like the soap opera drama over dramaticism of it, because it's not something you often see in Common Rider, especially like modern Common Rider, which this was sort of one of the first modern Common Riders after Deno. Uh huh. Like, I, I, I don't know if I brought it up on air, but there is kind of a split. Like, you have Deno, and Deno changed the game a lot. I'm not going to say change it in a good way. I'm not going to say change it in a bad way, because that's ultra subjective. But it changed it a lot. And then Kiva came around, and it has a lot in common with the seasons before Deno. Like, they're 
are a fair amount of deaths. Uh, like the story arcs tend to run a bit more dramatic than this is hard to articulate because a lot of it is a vibe that they give out. And I like the vibe that like 2000 to 2010 Common Rider gives out. I'm not saying I hate later Common Rider. O's is one of my favorite seasons. I love Double because everyone fucking loves Double. But I have a soft spot for the feel of these older seasons. But at the same time, I do like, you know, the shifting forms, the add-ons, all the weapons, and how toyetic it is. That is something I enjoy. And looking back and thinking about it and gathering my opinions together, Conrad or Kiva is kind of that. It's kind of the mixture of both of them. It has the vibe of early Common Rider, but it also has the lightheartedness, the playfulness, the toys, the color of later Common Rider. And that's just something that really tickles my fancy. For some people, it's like, for some people who really like, you know, older school Comrade, it's like, oh, it's too much like future Common Rider. For people who like modern Comrade, it's like, oh, it's too much like past Common Rider. But for me, who likes both, I think this is a good combination of them. So as a personal opinion, 7.5, 8.5 if you ignore the finale. All right. That's cool. Uh, with that, with Kiva now in the bag, folks, uh, we're, we'd like to take a moment to address our future plans for the podcast. We are selling to Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, we are getting $10 billion. So that's going to be fun. You didn't tell me this. Oh, yeah. By the way, I bought you out of the company without you noticing. So I gave you 20 bucks for all of your shares. And now I'm getting a billion bucks for selling it to Mark Zuckerberg. You can't do this. I built this company with my blood, sweat, and tears. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a, a, a hiatus for a month or for several months, folks. We have admittedly been flying by the seat of our pants for this first season. It you... has shown, as evidenced by our many hiatuses, from when I just needed a break or Adam was tired of editing all my bullshit. Yeah, so we'll be taking a, a mu- uh, maybe two or three months off so we can record and bi- finally build up a buffer of episodes to put out. But... We are planning to cover for our se- for the second season of Craw, Common Rider Ryuki and Common Rider Zero One. The current intention is to cover uh, for one week, cover a-, a couple episodes of Ryuki, and then for the next week, a couple episodes of Zero One, and just sort of alternate from week to week until we finish both those seasons. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, because I often am wrong. We are going to be we are going to be finishing up our release of Comrade Amazon's relatively intermittently. We're not going to be giving it a weekly release schedule, but we are going to be putting it out just sort of as an intermission because we like putting out content. Yeah, we we don't want to leave you guys we don't want to leave you guys for like a couple months and then come back and everyone's forgotten about us. We're good. we're we're also going to be taking this break to try to learn how to become better as content creators. We are going to workshop some new segments, try to figure out uh, a better format for the show, just try to make everything better overall. Yeah. 
like so far our only segment that is original and not like included in every other review podcast is our tarot corner so we're going to try to figure out what we can do to make ourselves unique because like sincerity mode here we do care about the people that listen like this this adam we we can admit that this podcast is for us right like we record it because we have fun hanging out watching common rider and talking but but at the same time thinking about someone listening and enjoying the weird bullshit we say actually means a lot to us and so we want to provide good content and not dookie garbage indeed as fun as dookie garbage can be good content is good content i think we have done well in in growing as creators i listened to our first couple episodes and it was a little rough around the edges yeah i i was learning how to edit we were both i was learning how to be funny yeah still haven't figured that one out but the editing has gotten much better yes thank you but yeah that's that's about it in the way of announcements i think unless you have something else to add mom dad i'm gay well you're trans as well so they already know that though don't they but yeah, other than that bad joke, which by the way, Thanksgiving, so era, so you know, holiday appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and show ourselves out after giving the plugs. Um, if you like the sound of my voice, you can find me at Pokemon Primeval. It's a Pokemon-themed actual play TTRPG podcast where we sort of pause it and explore what the world of Pokemon may have been like across different eras. It's good as opposed to this podcast oh anna do you have anything you'd like to plug not really um for people that remember the high school dxd podcast that i was uh, talking about for a while uh one of our one of our co-hosts uh went came across some trouble so we had to take a hiatus we decided to come back from the hiatus except one of our other co-hosts is now finishing up college uh so now we're gonna wait until mid-December to start recording again and maybe finally getting an episode out. So look forward to that probably around the time we come out or probably later. All right. Truly, we are the inheritors of Craw. <laughs>